Hello everybody and welcome and this is the Midnight McBride Show episode number 36 and this week's special guest is holistic lifestyle coach and founder of Elements of Nutrition, Becky Jones. Hey Becky. Hello, thank hey. you for inviting me on. You're very welcome. So we've met before, we've done a show with yourself and Mandy, yep. you've been on the radio with me and we've talked about your journey, some of the things you've done and what you do now. Now, tell us a little bit about Elements of Nutrition. So, it's uh, the company that I dreamed of for years. Um, essentially, I came through stress and depression that had really dramatically affected my health, and I wanted to be uh, the shining light out there for women who'd been in the same position of, as me, who wanted to work on being their best selves in terms of their health, their mental health, and their energy levels. Yeah. So it is a service that I provide one-to-one -one with clients and I have a whole load of um, things available online to help people for free as well. And you've been running this company for a few years, Becky. Yeah, yeah it's been three years now. Yeah. And I've also seen you're on, you have a website now and you're on Facebook and it's grown and grown and grown. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe tell us with where we're going to go with the conversation today, which we'll talk about shortly, maybe tell us a little bit about your credentials, because I know you were a molecular biologist. <laughs> yes, back in the dim and distant past. And um, so my degree was in biomedical sciences. So I learned all about immunology, biochemistry, human anatomy, and many things that serve me in what I do now. Um, but I also took those into the laboratory. So in the year 2000, I was working at the University of Manchester in yeah. molecular biology and using techniques like um, PCR, centrifugation, or, um, a whole load of molecular techniques um, for uh, working on um, development of novel um, preparations in the world of plant molecular biology. And yeah. um, so, yeah, fascinating stuff. But I ended up going into uh, laboratory equipment sales. So then I was selling the, the, yeah. the same, um, same machines that I'd used in the lab. Yeah. Perhaps then more money focused rather than following your initial passion. Exactly. Yeah. Jumping on the uh, money bandwagon with yeah. all of my um, with my fellow uh, graduates and um, trying to climb the career ladder. And yeah. it, it didn't take me long to realize that that wasn't my path. <laughs> Most of us have done it. I've done it. I pursued the money for years. And then you wake up one day and realize that that's not making you happy anymore. And that doesn't become your primary goal, no. you know, and a quality life is not based on, you know, material possessions and money. It helps. It's nice. So you mentioned PCR, Becky. Yeah. Maybe just explain, because it's going to be relevant with what we're going to be talking about. Yeah. What is PCR? Um, so polymerase chain reaction is basically amplification of DNA and RNA. So the tiny little bits within our, our DNA, our chromosomes, um, that um, signify what, what's in there. And viruses have DNA, bacteria have DNA, um, and mRNA um, is a, a specific part of this that we get from viral tissue, which is what's being examined in, in kind of PCR tests at the moment. Yeah. Um, but um, you can use standard PCR. Um, I use reverse transcriptase PCR, and it just involves adding a series of solutions to yeah. um, a sample cleaning it all up and then amplifying it. So putting it through rounds, various rounds of PCR to 
get enough of this material that you can analyse it. Yeah. I'm right in saying that the guy that invented the PCR test exclusively said, quote unquote, this test is not to be used for testing for viruses. Is well, he, he even went as far as to say it should not be used for diagnostic purposes. So it's not suitable for diagnosing anything. Because it's completely inaccurate for that purpose. Yeah. Right. Good. Good. That's good. <laughs> Where are we going to go with this show? We thought long and hard about this. I've thought long and hard about this. And I'll maybe just talk to the camera for a minute. But I didn't want to do a show about COVID. It's consumed me at times, it's caused me massive anxiety. I'm normally quite calm, relaxed and peaceful. And I've had some major wobbles over the last few weeks. I've been not feeling good. I think it's the same as everybody. A lot of people haven't been feeling great. And it's a topic I was hoping would go away. I've realised now that that's not going to happen. And although we've touched on it very briefly with some people that how they'd been coping with lockdown in previous shows briefly, I think it's time we talk about it. Now, I'm not an expert, but I've read a lot about it, and I'm going to try, and if we talk about any kind of statistic or anything where I need to reference it, I can indicate where you're going to be able to find this information. Nothing that I'm going to discuss or mention isn't either one or two things. It's either been explained or quoted. I'm citing it from mainstream media, so you'll be able to find it very easily. Or secondly, it'll be my opinion from those articles I've read and from the information I've consumed. I'm not an expert, but I have an opinion. It's my right to have an opinion and I want to talk about it and it's time. So I hope, I hope that's okay with everybody. Becky. Great. So we're going to do a show and we're going to talk about COVID. Now, there's so much to talk about. We, we realised before we did this show, we're never going to get it into one show. And we don't have all the answers, you know, but what we do is we we have either a, a very well-educated opinion from somebody that's worked in that industry, in that field, or an opinion from somebody, I'm Joe Bloggs, but I've read a lot about it, and I have an opinion. So we'll, we'll talk about it now. And the different aspects and different ways to approach this. And one is possibly discussing the science and whether it's accurate. That's the first thing. Then, assuming the mainstream narrative and the information you're given is correct, which I don't think necessarily is true, but let's say it is, then from that point, how it's been managed. So one is questioning what we've been told. The other is saying, okay, what we've been told is correct. But the actions of the government and the policies and the things that are happening at the minute with lockdown and various other things, how it's being dealt with and whether that's working as well. So lots to talk about. Mm. Yeah. Initially, I think we'll start with some of the science and we're not questioning all the science. What I'm doing is I'm looking more at how data and information is arrived at. And again, all of the things I'm going to mention, for example, um, the, the death count. Now, I, I looked desperately to try and find some figures for this show and I've cited them, eventually got them, and they're all from government websites. So this information that I've cited is the official information. However, it was difficult to find percentage figures, figures that I would say are relevant. Now, I used an analogy the other day, which uh, I hope everybody will get this. Imagine saying that 10 million people cross the road today, and I will let you talk in a moment, Becky, I Don't promise. <laughs> and then the next day, you say 12 million people cross the road today. It's irrelevant. 
How many people went to hospital because they got run over and how many people died because they got run over? The number of people that crossed the road is irrelevant. So the figures we're being quoted are the total deaths and the number of positive tests. But we now know that a massive amount of people, over 80% of people don't have any symptoms. And these figures, they're official statistics, and they're only 0.07% of people, official statistic from government websites, 0.07% of people die from it, and only a very small number of people have symptoms. So 80% of people don't know they've got it, and then there's people that have symptoms that fall in the place in between, and then there's people that die. So you're looking at the actual figures that have been reported, how they've been reported, and then how they're acquired. I read an article, and this was reported on Sky News, that a guy tested positive for COVID in February, had a car crash in June, and went down as a COVID death. Then you've got a lot of terminally ill people that are dying, that go down as COVID deaths. You've also got people then that, and it's worded, test positive for COVID prior to dying. So they said died after testing positive for COVID, not from COVID. Really interesting what you were saying using that analogy of crossing the road. Um, the, the only way that those figures of how many people cross the road would be relevant is if we were able to attain percentages. So um, it can be useful information in the context of the percentage of people that become seriously um, ill or get, get hit by the car and then as a result die from that it is those percentages that are meaningful exactly and you struggle to find them total deaths or total positives don't really tell you anything you know it's it's a ratio it's for every thousand people that test positive although that figure is disputable but every thousand people test positive how many are ill how many die yeah. that's the figure it's a percentage that should be relevant now we now know that the virus wasn't isolated and it, they didn't use what they call Koch's postulates to identify and isolate a virus. And every virus in history, what they do is they use a series of, um, they go through a series of procedures to isolate it and identify it. That wasn't done with this particular virus. We know that the PCR test by the guy that actually invented it, said this was never to be used for testing for viruses. We know it's 86 to 90% inaccurate, getting false positives. This isn't me, this is an official figure. This isn't disputed. There's also been articles for several suicides where people have taken their own life that have gone down of COVID-19. At least they put a 28-day cap on this after testing positive business. Originally, there was no cap on it. There's also been a lady who went to get a COVID-19 test and then after not being able to make that appointment got a positive result through the post. And then I also read an article. Now, this article, I'm sure you can search it. A guy tested a piece of fruit and he got a positive result. Now, that's not surprising because this test isn't designed for what it's being used for, you know. Becky, I'm going to let you start talking now because I, <laughs> I could just go on for an hour with this. You know. That's okay. Um, interesting what you mentioned then about the testing. Um, so testing fruit, um, there have even been reports of testing nothing and just putting uh, the swab back into the sterile tube and sending that off and still getting positive tests. Yeah. Um, it highlights a couple of things to us. So there are, um, in the world of science, these possibilities of um, cross-contamination. So 
that does explain a certain small percentage of um, cases that come back positive. And so we have to bear in mind that um, you have got 96 wells in a, a PCR um, plate and you can test multiple samples. You've probably got tw 12 different samples in there and it just takes the tiniest amount of aerosol from your pipette um, to carry from one to another and you've got the potential for cross-contamination there. So that is one thing that we, we do need to bear in mind. Yeah. Um, but yeah, um, it is there are so many different routes that you, so many opportunities for you to get uh, viral um, RNA into the samples. So it's not faultless, <laughs> the no, technique. No, and as of Thursday this week, uh, the army are going to be involved in the testing process. There's going to be errors, you know, mm. yeah. I'm also aware that there's private companies now that have been flyering and putting things through people's door in Gorton in Manchester which is quite a deprived area it used to be the biggest council estate in Europe I believe a lot of the people are unemployed and offering them £50 each to go and get the test it seems to me that there's you know a reason that certain people would like to see these figures rise it seems an agenda to get these figures as high as possible that how, that's how it appears to me I'm not an expert, but I have a right to speak my mind, I have a right to an opinion, and I have a right to question. I believe those are my basic rights, and I should be able to do so, you know. So, let's talk about, once we've, say we've tested positive. Mm -hmm. I'm also going to talk now about what I call the four degrees of fear. Now, I've recently been trolled, I'd say, I've been getting some unpleasant messages on Facebook because of my opinions. There's lots of people that have other opinions to me, and I respect that. You know, I think it's their right to have those opinions. But the four degrees of fear, there's people that are genuinely afraid of this virus. And again, that's their prerogative, and I understand. Then there are people that are frightened of what other people think. Then there are people that are frightened of losing their job. And then there are people that are frightened of the financial consequences of maybe keeping the business open. And being breaking the regulations, these guidelines for social distancing, and you get a fine. So there are lots of people that are frightened and suppressing how they feel, even though they may disagree with the official narrative, because of the penalties and the judgments imposed upon them. And I, I, I call them people police, where other people en masse, when they're frightened and they go along with something, then want everybody else to do the same. Mm -hmm. And they gang up on them, you know, and I've experienced that. You know, it's so the four degrees of fear. There's a lot of people frightened, but not so many frightened of a virus. You know, yeah. I would agree. Yeah. So, Becky, now, do you mind? We might talk about vaccines. Now, again, we'll have to be quite careful how we do this. <laughs> this is one of the areas where if you challenge the science, quite often you don't get the platform. So we're going to try and do this intelligently, you know, and talk about initially about the potential harm from standard and novel vaccines yeah it's um it's a huge topic and it's something that i've been interested in for many years um obviously the novel vaccines are exactly that and we are yet to find out exactly how they are going to work and how they're going to interact with our dna and all of those things yeah and um, but we know based on um 
trials, studies and the use of vaccines over however many decades and um, that it has this potential for harm in certain individuals. So there is always a percentage, no matter which vaccine has been used um, and in what format, uh, there always are people who react to these things and um, we call them uh, vaccine injured um, and it tends to be our younger members of society who receive these vaccines and we can see a whole range of different symptoms and it may happen in a one-off vaccine and they'll get an almost instantaneous reaction and um, so a kind of allergic type response to something that's in there. It may be a longer term response from a single vaccine um, and we see changes in development, neural development, behavioural development, that kind of thing. Um, or it may be a kind of threshold effect. So when children have had multiple vaccines, so it might be like a three-in-one vaccine and then another supplementary vaccine and then a top-up vaccine. The theory is um, partially that it could be the the neurotoxins that are in there, the um, the adjuvants, um, metal, um, aluminium, mercury, mercury that are yeah. in there uh, that could potentially be building up to toxic levels within the brain, uh, within the body. And at that point, when we've reached the threshold, if, if we don't have the the kind of DNA pathways, uh, DNA or kind of excretory pathways that are important for getting rid of toxic substances, if we if they aren't working properly for whatever reason, and um, then this is when we seem to get symptoms yeah. of known conditions and and sudden infant death syndrome, autism, a whole host of different things. There are connections that have been made and we can't say for definite that one thing causes the other but there seems to be a, a strong link there between them yeah so um I have my fears around what it's doing to our children um but I also have uh, fears around our reliance on them yeah. um they they don't supplement our natural immune system they don't protect us from everything whereas a good healthy strong immune system does yeah and our reliance on a, a kind of cotton wool approach so using something that has been man-made to protect us from things that are naturally found in our environment um, is never going to work until we have I don't know, a hundred vaccines, a thousand vaccines, whatever number it's going to take to protect us from absolutely everything in environment is just not physically possible. Yeah. And so I'm a strong believer that we need to look after ourselves um, in order to bolster our immune system against everything. The secondary infections, yeah. the original viral infections, it's our job. Absolutely. And I think, which is something we're going to talk about in a little while, is one of the major things that affects our immune system is stress and fear, you know. But we'll we'll get to that one. Absolutely. With the vaccines, I've read a couple of mainstream articles. I'm not going to quote a figure because the, the figures vary depending on which paper you read. But the fact is that they're saying that there have been some deaths in the trials. That aside, what I will quote you is one of the mainstream papers again. I read an article and it was saying that there's two doses that we're using in the trials and the milder dose, so not the full dose, the mild dose, 80% of the people that 
were given the mild dose of the test vaccine were having serious side effects or effects. And 100% of the people that were having the full dose test vaccine, uh, the trial vaccine, were having serious side effects. So clearly, we're nowhere near with a vaccine, if you believe that is the answer. Again, I don't, and I will never have a vaccine. I will not have the vaccine. Nobody will put a needle in my body against my will. That's my opinion. That's my right. You know, other people may want the vaccine. Now, this is good. I'm going to pose a question, which I thought about. It's Go good on. logic. Now, let's say there's 10 million people and 5 million people are desperate to get this vaccine because they want to be safe. Mm -hmm. And at this point, I'll use a quote. I'd rather die standing up than live on my knees. You know, sometimes there is a point in your life where, for instance, if you don't want a vaccine, that I believe as a human being, it's your right to do that. I believe there's four things that we have a right to, basic human rights. The air we breathe, what we put in our body, the food, the drink, the toxins, the company we keep, and our freedom to roam, our freedom to move about, choosing the company we keep. They're four basic human rights, and what is happening at the minute is trying to take all of those offers. Not one of them, not two of them, all of them. Restricting your breathing, putting a vaccine in your body against your will, social distancing, not allowing to see the people you love, and also restricting your movement, you know, allowing you to travel. The question, the logical pose with the vaccine. Imagine there's 10 million people, 5 million want the vaccine. They get it. 5 million don't want the vaccine. They don't get the vaccine. The only people, those 5 million people, are putting at risk once the first 5 million have been vaccinated, if the vaccine works, is themselves. So if 5 million people have the vaccine, and 5 million people don't, and the vaccine works, the only people that the 5 million people that don't have the vaccine are putting at risk is themselves. They're not at risk. I, I think that's a great bit of logic. The only people that need to have the vaccine are the people that are afraid and fear for their life. Everybody else doesn't need to have it. My logic. And those at risk. Because there are a certain percentage of the population who are at higher risk for whatever reason of getting viral infections. And I, I support their desire for a vaccine. And... Um, what I was going to add to that is that there are a small percentage of people who can't have a vaccine either for whatever reason, uh, allergic responses and um, delivery methods and things like that. And my concern is that the response, the measures that are being put in place are not proportionate to the protection of that small number of people who cannot receive the vaccine. So I completely agree with what you've said there. Imposing a vaccine upon everybody, the, the forced mandatory vaccines um, are not proportionate to the number of people that it would actually protect by doing yeah. that. So my logic is everybody doesn't need to have that vaccine. Those at risk and those that choose to have it. Yes. Yeah, yeah, good. Good. I'm going to read you a quote now. It's from Lord Sumpton, and he's a former Supreme Court Justice, very well respected, very intelligent man. I like him a lot. And he also did a speech recently, I think it was on the 26th of October, and it was reported in a lot of the mainstream press. And these extracts are from 
quotations from him from the Telegraph newspaper that reported this. And I'm going to read you these four quotes. The ease with which people could be terrorised into surrendering basic freedoms which are fundamental to our existence came as a shock to me in March 2020. The sheer scale of which the government has sought to govern by decree, creating new criminal offences, sometimes several times a week on the mere say-so of ministers, is in constitutional terms truly breathtaking. Citizens should be treated as rational actors, capable of taking decisions for themselves and managing their own personal risk. This is how freedom dies when societies lose their liberty. It is not usually because some despot has crushed it under his boot. It is because people voluntarily surrendered their liberty out of fear of some external threat. This is fear. And then finally, which blew me away, this final part. The British public has not even begun to understand the seriousness of what is happening in our country. Many, perhaps most of them, don't care and won't care until it is too late. They instinctively feel that the end justifies the mean, the motto of every totalitarian government which has ever been. The government has discovered the power of public fear to let it get its way. I know people that are desperately clinging on to the official line, the official narrative, what I call the lie in my book. The first chapter of my book is devoted to some of the things that were told that aren't true. And I think the truth for me is far more scary than any virus. Again, my opinion. But the truth is far more scary. What's actually afoot? So, Becky, now we'll go back to the official programme of the show. <laughs> and we're going to talk about cell-based immunity. Yeah, uh, specifically, it's the T cells that I wanted to mention today. So um, when we think about immunity to maybe viruses uh, that we've been exposed to in the past, so um, measles, uh, mumps, that kind of thing. So historically, viruses that have been around for a very, very long time. And um, when we are exposed to these viruses on the first occasion, we tend to get very poorly with them. And there'll be an immune response and we'll have the high temperature and we'll have um, the symptoms uh, that the, viral, uh, the virus presents with itself. Yeah. And it may take a week to recover. It may take longer. Um, Post-viral infection uh, symptoms include fatigue, a whole host of other things like that. But we get better from it. And um, what happens is our immune system, during that time that we are poorly, it builds up an army of T-cells. Um, and B cells. And our B cells include things like your memory B cells. And these are, they're, they're like the trainers, like they're like the, the general in the army. And yeah. every time the uh, memory B cells come across this virus in the future, they've already created an abundance of these um, immune cells that they can just switch on like that. They just say, oh, this virus is here again, right? Forget the production lines going again and they can uh, launch an immune response really, really quickly. So when we're exposed a second or third time, we don't tend to get symptoms because our body already knows how to handle it, already yeah. knows um, what to do about it. Um, when it comes to certain types of virus and it's believed that um, COVID, the, the SARS-CoV-2 virus is 
launching a, a T cell response in the body. So it's our innate immune system. It is our basic immune system, if you like, rather than our adaptive immune system. So it does appear to create these, these B cells, these memory B cells and that are trained, yeah. but they don't seem to be hanging about in the body for very long. So when it comes to antibody testing for the virus, um, it was initially thought that it may, they may not reside within the body for very long. So when we're talking vaccines and things like that, um, it was suspected that we might have to have a, a vaccine like every three months or something to keep these uh, auto, these immune antibodies um, in our system and fighting the virus. Not a prospect that I would relish at all. Um, but it's from recent studies, it sounds as if it does remain in at least uh, six months, these um, memory cells. But it's our T cells that seem to be doing the job of fighting it. So in people who remain healthy or maybe have a very subtle symptoms, um, it is our lovely T cells uh, that are keeping the immune system suppressed and helping us get through it. So yeah. um, it has been proven, tried and tested since all of this began. And um, you've probably heard about um, people giving plasma so that we could extract the immune cells and use these as a treatment in people who are poorly with the virus. Um, and it kind of explains why that is not um, as useful as it might be because it's different types of immune response that's being launched. Yeah. I understood about 80% of that. <laughs> no, not all of it, but most of it. I'd like to say as well for the listeners at home that you don't necessarily agree with everything I say. And that's quite important, you know, because very, very happy you came on the show and you're willing to talk about this. And some people aren't, you know, they're a bit frightened. And I wanted your expertise, you know, and like I say, I have my opinions and you don't necessarily agree with all of those, but the fact that we can sit down and have this conversation is what it's all about. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And um, anything that I say today is, again, it's my own opinion. It's based yeah. upon what I've learned. It's based upon the science that I, I do have an understanding of. And it's based upon the research that I've done. Um, but I would have to say it is merely my opinion. And I urge anybody who is listening to this, watching this, um, to do your own research, to form your own opinions. And yeah. um, please don't take what I'm saying as... And um, the be all and end all. No, Do your own no, research, no. make your own opinions. You have to you have to look at many sources of information and then use your mind and come to your own conclusions. And I think it's our basic human right again to question. We should be allowed to have an opinion, to say what we think and to question. I question everything. You know, that's and a lot of the time I question something. I think actually it's bang on. You yeah. know what I mean? I've, I've looked at it every which way and I think that's a really good bit of information. Other times, the cracks appear very early on. I think, what's going on here? This, this isn't the truth. I'm not being told the truth here. You know? You've got to stay curious. You've got to keep that open mind. And it's when we think, oh, well, this is absolutely the truth. This is the this is completely right. I've done all my research. I've decided this is it. Mm. This is when we get problems. You've got to remain open because things change absolutely. all the time. Science changes all the time. Yeah, Opinion yeah. changes all the time. And what we think are facts change all the time as well. Um, you've just got to remain curious and keep questioning, like you said. Yeah, I'm, I'm wrong frequently. <laughs> Me too. I'm wrong frequently. Be. <laughs> but every time I'm wrong, I just I've just learned something. So exactly. every time I'm wrong, 
I've learnt what is potentially right. And that still might change. But every time you go through life, you be inquisitive, you acquire information, you assess it, you don't always get it right. But the right to do that, you know. I know that there's a lot of information that I've seen that has either been, I've had to look at it from different sources or that it's been pulled off, um, you know, YouTube, Facebook, things like this, because it contradicts the official narrative. Now, I think it's everybody's right to look at that, you know, to question it and to make their own mind up. But to, I always say, and this, is, this isn't applied to COVID, this is to anything. If I'm making a point and then somebody else starts ranting and saying something very different, and I think it's ridiculous, yeah, it's not, doesn't concern me, right? Because that information, anybody with a brain will assess it and realise that it's not a threat and it's, you know, they're, they're going to make their own minds up and it's easy. When you start to censor things, then you've got to ask the question, why? Why are you censoring that information? If it's not true and it's clearly not true and none of the facts support it, why are you censoring it? You know, I think that's a question we need to ask with everything in life. This isn't COVID specific. This is everything. So next, risk factors. Yes. Okay. Now, I don't know quite where you're going to go with this. When we talk about stuff in the pre-show chat, we, we have a good natter about things. I try and keep it minimal because I like it fresh in the show. So sometimes in the show, we never quite know where things are going to go. We had so much to talk about in the pre-show chat that I don't know where this is going. But <laughs> risk factors is... A point that I need to bring up. Okay, fabulous. Thank you for doing that. Um, so because I am into nutrition, because I am into herbs, because I am into looking after ourselves uh, mentally, physically, um, it's the risk factors that have really, um, really caused me to have strong opinions about what's going on. Yeah. So, so is, is this... Not necessarily the information that's been provided. This is the management side, would you say? So it's prevention versus cure, in inverted commas. And yeah. um, I believe it's everybody's duty to look after themselves. And there are circumstances, there are exceptions, and there are always going to be exceptions. <laughs> um, genetic uh, predispositions. Um, there's a whole host of kind of external factors that we aren't in control of. Um, but the things that we can control we really must control because it's it's our job, how we feel. It's our job, how well our body works. And if we don't take responsibility for that, if we don't care for that and just put it in the hands of the NHS or the vaccine companies, if if we do that, then we are missing an opportunity to, to feel amazing because what we do in terms of looking after our immune system, our body, our health, our weight, um, has a knock-on effect on literally everything in, in our lives and, and how we feel. And um, so... When I've been looking into the statistics of um, death rates, um, uh, the severity of symptoms yeah. um, appearing in certain populations, obviously there are risk factors that we know about. Um, comorbidities include things like cardiovascular disease, diabetes, um, obesity. Um, there are a whole host of different conditions that leave us at much, much higher risk of developing um a strong immune response um, and also a higher mortality rate. So I guess where I'm coming from, not only should we be thinking about 
the implications of cardiovascular disease, diabetes uh, and obesity on our general health. So how much more likely we are to have heart attack, stroke, yeah. dementia um, and amputation and a whole host of, of different um endpoints uh, and there was a public campaign that started um, to help people think about their weight and the implications of that on their their risk for um, developing uh, viral um, symptoms but it just feels like it's fallen flat it should be the essence of it rather than relying on a vaccine that has no other health benefits and yeah. only potential health implications for taking it, surely we should focus on the good stuff that we can do that helps benefit us in a thousand ways this, rather than focusing on a vaccine that has the potential to harm us and only helps with one thing. Yeah. This, I, I agree. That it, another a point I'd like to make is gyms. Now, gyms... It's always got to be maintenance of your health rather than ending up on a pharmaceutical product, you know, on a drug. And gyms, not only you maintain your health, but you also, it's your mental health. It's exercising as well. Very important. And for me, to close gyms in a time where the people really need to be at their healthiest, you know, eating correctly and everybody's ordering on Just Eat now and Deliveroo and, and companies like this, where a lot of people's diets have gone very downhill yeah. because they're frightened, they don't want to go outside. I always try and remember that when I see somebody who maybe has different opinions than I do, not they, to judge them because they're, they're frightened. frightened. They're frightened and, and I get that and some people are very frightened and so they don't want to go outside, they don't want to go shopping and quite often these online services and again, they're not all bad, but people's, I think generally is people's health, mental health, physical health, not always doing the exercise they were, and the diet has drastically gone downhill during yeah, this period. Definitely. You know. Definitely. I think it's, it's, it's partially, partially it's that need to comfort ourselves. So mm. when there's so much uncertainty in the world about what's happening, what you're allowed to do, what you're not allowed to do, who you can see, who you can't see, and it creates turmoil within our body and mind, and we need to self-comfort. And we can't give somebody a hug and we can't go and socialize and we can't do the exercise at the gym and we can't do the things that we would usually rely upon to comfort ourselves. And what we can do is we can order from Just Eat, we can order the Hagen dazs we can um, even get wine on delivery and things like that. Mm. Um, but it is this reliance on um, alcohol and eating comfort style foods rather than making the emphasis on looking after our bodies. Yeah, and there was a period where pubs and restaurants were open, pubs were open, and gyms weren't. Now, don't be wrong, there are some benefits to having pubs open for your mental health, you mm -hmm. know, being being able to socialise, and, and absolutely. And I'm not saying close pubs, far from it. What I am saying is closing gyms, for me, is crazy. Yeah. You know, the gyms should stay open. Exercise is massively important. It's more important than the pharmaceuticals and the drugs we end up taking. The exercise is the maintenance. It stops us ending up on the drugs. Exactly. It stops us getting the heart disease. It stops us having a stroke. It stops the diabetes. Yep. Just to be clear, I'm for opening schools, businesses, protecting the vulnerable if they choose to do so. It should be a choice for perhaps the elderly or people that have got existing health conditions, taking the masks off, coming out of lockdown and getting back to business, right? That's what I'm about. That's what I believe in. But, so this isn't saying there's an issue with opening schools. It's saying it doesn't make any sense when 
Everybody else is under lockdown. Everybody else is going out, and a lot of people are wearing masks if they choose to do so, you know, following the guidelines. And social distancing, and not seeing the people you love. And then all the kids go to school, and then they all come back home. It doesn't make any sense at all. And I, I went ran past a bus yesterday, and 35 to 40 kids got off the bus and doing like kids do when they get off a bus. Not one of them had a mask on, and they shouldn't have to, especially children, because I think it does permanent mm. psychological mm -hmm. damage. And then they get off the bus and they're all scrapping, throwing the bags at each other, messing about and everything. And then they're all going into back into the house at home. So it's, there's no logic. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Now, this is my opinion. But what I'm saying is the way this has been managed, even if you believe the official narrative and you're going along with everything, clearly it doesn't make any sense, in the, my opinion. The messages that they are being given, not just about mass wearing, but, but in general are really concerning as well. And like you say, the long-term implications for their mental health and their physical health of wearing the same mask all week, um, don't even get me started, yeah. um, are, are very concerning to me. And you're absolutely right. But they are being shown the news from a very early age, from four years of age, I'm hearing they're being sh being exposed to the news and what's happening globally well, in terms of... It gets me depressed, so what does it do to a child? Exactly, exactly. I get frightened. And it's very worrying. Um, it's no wonder anxiety levels are, are up, suicide levels in teens. Um, it is... Domestic abuse, child abuse. Yeah. Every, yeah. Yeah. All through um, the roof. But they are being told, basically, well, you must never go near your grandma, you must never go near um, other people... Uh, otherwise you're going to kill them and what kind of fear inducing message is that for a child who doesn't really understand what's going on who's never been well none of us have ever, ever been exposed to anything quite like this but this is entirely novel to them and mm. um, yeah very worrying there's a there's a lot of prominent people now who are coming forward speaking these are personalities on television these are doctors scientists even a lot of politicians saying that they're not disputing what we're being told. What they're saying is it's crazy the way it's being managed. It doesn't make any sense. Now, for me, the next topic we're going to talk about is the age. Now, the average age of somebody, my understanding, I've looked at the figures this morning. I could be a couple of years wrong either way, but my understanding is the average life expectancy of somebody in this country is 82. And the average age of somebody who is, passes as diagnosed with COVID-19 as the cause of death, is 83. Now, if you're an old person, and I use this analogy. I'm going to have to be quick before this time goes. I use this analogy. Human beings are like batteries. And one battery can power a remote control for your TV. A thousand batteries together can power a car. Now, we all have an electromagnetic field. We all emit energy and receive energy. We're like batteries. And the worst crime that's committed, the punishment for that in most prisons, the most severe punishment, is isolation. It kills the human spirit. Now, if you're an old person and you've got the TV on, pumping out fear, you're not being informed, you're being programmed, you're being conditioned, pumping out fear with the news on all the time. And you're listening to this and you become highly stressed, scared. You haven't got the support of the people that love you that pick your energy levels up. Your immune system drops and you've already got a pre-existing pre health condition. You're probably going to die. And this is a very harsh way to look at it, but I'm going to say it anyway. With this economic population we have, old people, 
they're a drain on the national health system. This is the way that some people view it. Yeah. I often say I'd rather be in the company of somebody that's a lot older than me because they're usually a lot wiser and they revert to a childlike state and the fun. Looking at things purely from a economical point of view, old people take a pension and they're usually not contributing in paying taxes to a society because they're not out working. And they, a lot of them are on medication and poorly. And so from a purely economic point of view, old people are highly inconvenient. Now, you isolate them and they stay inside, listening to fear all the time. They're highly stressed. They're frightened. And I've seen it in the face and that makes me want to cry. And they're slowly dying inside. The thing that keeps you alive as you get older is your spirit. Masks kill smiles. That's what I say, you know, the smile. If you go around and you smile at people, it lifts their energy and then they smile back and they lift your energy. It's infectious. Put a mask on. I can't see your smile. And after a while, even though you might be smiling, I can't see it, I stop smiling. And then you don't see my smile and you stop smiling. And I feel for two people more than any others, for two age groups, one is old people because I feel they're all dying prematurely, not necessarily because of a virus, but because of isolation and I believe my a neighbour of mine got a letter the other day saying if you do contract COVID, then you need to stay in the house and self-isolate and do not come to the hospital. It was the letter instructed him. And this lady, I won't name her, was crying and she felt totally, totally let down by society. She's been basically told, she's quite old now, and told that not to go to hospital. And as for a do not, do not resuscitate... Oh. You can see how I'm trying to do this in a calm manner and be peaceful, but there are a lot of things that are happening that I really don't agree with. You can't say that this was inevitable, um, but given the risk factors that people had, um, it is just the, the thing that tends to tip them over the edge. So... In a healthy individual, it is very rare, as admitted by the World Health Organization, it is very rare that people are going to die if they don't have pre-existing health conditions. Yeah. Um, we, we know this. The mortality rate is a reflection of the health of the population who are dying. So there are, there are various thoughts behind this. So... Flu, we, we tend to get it every year. We get different variants of flu and the viruses, they morph basically, they adapt and they have genetic mutations that mean that most viruses don't survive once they mutate, but some of them do. And these can become a new viable virus in themselves. And that's why we end up with multi-strain vaccines because it covers lots of different bases. There are, there's a potential that it could be any one flu that we get yeah. and that kills, unfortunately, old people and those at risk of um, dying from viral infections and, and bacterial infections and stuff. Um, so it is a concern. It's an annual concern. And a vast number of older people will die as a result of catching viral infections. This is not new. Um, this is no more severe than um, SARS-CoV-1 in terms of mortality rates in mm. older people. But I'll tell you what will happen now. More will die because of fear and stress Absolutely. and isolation. So the figures are going to go up, not because of a virus, as far as I'm concerned, 
my opinion, the figures would go up regardless of the virus. The simple fact is that there's a lot of old people now that aren't, I can't see the relatives, can't see the people that live the spirit, aren't getting looked after properly, are frightened, are stressed, and got the TV on because it's their only company they've got left. They've been told to stay indoors, listen to the news every day because you've got to have your Boris updates, and they're scared shitless, you know. That'll kill you. That'll kill you. 